Yay, thank you, Ms. Carmen. Those apples looked really pretty back there on that table, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you guys again. Uh, as Anne said, you know, her brother passing away this week was not completely unexpected. He had had a challenging year, uh, significant health problems, but it brought back some really good memories. You know, he lived in a small room in a house and needed to be taken care of. Uh, but Ames said one of the things in his room that he still had was the picture of his baptism from when we baptized him and his two daughters when we did the church in Broken Arrow. And so he still had that picture there from years ago. And uh, Zach is one of those people who had a lot of challenges health-wise Life choices-wise, had a lot of challenges, but the, the love of God, his love of Jesus was always there, even if it wasn't obvious in the life choices that he was making. Do any of you have relatives like that? And so, in spite of everything that was going on in, in Zach's life, it was neat to hear stories about how whenever his mom had some significant health problems and was maybe on the verge of passing away, Zach was in the hospital and could be heard praying loudly for his mom. And she came back. And then at one episode he had this year, Zach had slipped out of consciousness. It had been in a coma for a while. But when he came out of consciousness, he was praying as he came out of consciousness. And so the light of God was on him. The spark of life of God was still in him. And that's true many times of people, even when it isn't obvious based on the life choices that they're making. Right? And the other side of that is true as well. Many times people have it all together on the outside, but on the inside they are cold and dead and harsh in their relationships with other people and in their relationship with God. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. We had a challenging week this week in many ways. Uh, we had Zach's funeral, and then we had to rush back. And, you know, Grayson had two basketball games on Saturday. We had a meeting in Lubbock on Saturday, uh, a denominational meeting about where things are going this year. So one thing you might put on your prayer calendar is a date, for those of you who pray, February 27th, there's going to be an important meeting, and we would just ask you to lift that day up in prayer for our conference, and so uh, just something I would like to put on your radar. But you know, I've been writing a series of articles, uh, many of you may or may not have been reading, and it pertains to where our denomination is going, how we should think about uh, the, the issues that we're facing as a denomination. And I would say, you know, we've been talking about one particular issue, the issue of homosexuality. But that really applies to any person who is living in broken circumstances. How do we think about, how do we embrace people who are living in broken, broken circumstances as a church? How should we approach them? And that applies to a broad spectrum. And I wanted to go over a teaching from Scripture today about such a person. 
because it's important to me to look at how Jesus deals with people who are living in broken circumstances, who are living with bad choices that they've made. And it's important to look at how Jesus reacted to people like that. If you look at the broad scope of Scripture and Jesus' ministry, I can't think of a time when Jesus doesn't show mercy to someone who's living in broken circumstances. He's always showing mercy to people. On a principle, we understand God's standards, but on a a pastoral level, on an individual level, Jesus is always showing mercy to people. And he reserves his harshest criticism. He's always having conflict for the people who want to pass judgment on others, isn't he? You know, it's a a difficult thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is is teaching about the principles of the kingdom. And he, he has two things that he holds in tension in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. These are two things that we hold in tension. A desire for justice but also a desire to show mercy. How many of you know that's a really difficult thing to keep in balance? A desire for justice, understanding what the word of God and the standards of God are as revealed in scripture, understanding what that is and not compromising, but at the same time, showing mercy to those who fall short. And of course, in that statement, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's really important to keep in touch with what the standards and the principles of Scripture are, to be honest about how far short we all fall. It's really important to keep in touch with that. Because that way we understand how much mercy we require, both from God and from other people. And it makes it easier to hand it out. And so let's look at an episode from Scripture, Luke chapter 7. I'm going to be starting in verse 36. It's an episode from the ministry of Jesus. And it's a neat episode because, like many episodes in the Gospels, it kind of gives us a a scene, a snapshot of Jesus' day-to-day life. Outside of his preaching and teaching ministry, we get a look at Jesus' social life here. And so we're in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees or one of the religious leaders, one of the religious folks, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, we all know the scripture talks about Jesus socializing with sinners and undesirable people. He's always tends to have arguments with the religious people. But here we have Jesus was friends with the religious people too, wasn't he? Jesus was friends with everybody. Hey, Jesus is like, if you want to be friends with me, I'll be friends with you. And so the Pharisees were religious leaders. They were guys who had a well-curated public image by which they had established their status over other people. But one invites Jesus to his house, and Jesus is like, sure, I'll come and I'll hang out at your house with you. Verse 37, 
a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Other translations say she lived an immoral life. So many commentators assume that she might be a prostitute, which women would be desperate in, in this time frame if they'd made some mistakes and they were left to no other resort but to a lifestyle like this. And, and so who knows the circumstances that led to this woman's sinful life? Who knows what happened to her? It just says that she was immoral. She led an immoral life. She led a sinful life. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, if you're like me and you read that, you think, wow, that must have been an awkward thing to watch. That must have been an awkward moment, you know, probably culturally. It wasn't as, as weird as it sounds to us here. But here's the bottom line. Here's a woman that was leading an immoral life. She knew it. She was honest about it about it to herself, and she was looking for reconciliation with God. And she was, she was already humble, wasn't she? How many of you know how much humility it took to go into this guy's house being the woman that she was known to be, but finding out Jesus was there and she had the courage to go and deal with the problem she was very well aware of that she had. Not only did it take humility, it took courage. That took guts. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so he's just thinking it in his head, apparently, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Now, the Pharisee is just thinking this in his head. But think about people like this. You probably know people like this. People who have a well-crafted, a well-curated public image of respectability and prestige and one of the ways they like to maintain that is by kicking people when they're down. And if you've got somebody like Jesus, maybe looking for ways to take him down a few notches as well. You know people like that? One of the ways they help prop up their false sense of importance and respectability is not only do they kick people who are down in a, in a judgmental fashion, but if somebody else is getting a little bit of popularity and prestige themselves, they want to take them down a few notches as well. So probably both of those dynamics are going on in the heart or in the mind of this Pharisee. And here's Jesus' response, Jesus being discerning in touch with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 
Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then is when the hammer drops. On this Pharisee, at his own party, in his own home, you understand, let's be aware of the dynamics. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman, Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Think about that. Jesus would have given this man a very humbling lesson in front of all of the house guests. How many of you know that guy was probably embarrassed by Jesus? Jesus may have even made an enemy. That very evening, he may have made an enemy of one of the Pharisees. But this woman, and, and let's be clear, church, we have a woman who is living in immorality who comes into the presence of Jesus. She serves the body of Christ. Are you with me? Now, can you connect the dots? Who is the body of Christ? That's us, isn't it? An immoral woman comes into the presence of Jesus, serves the body of Christ. The religious folk want to get mad because Jesus isn't being hard enough on her. Are you following me? Church, the religious folk are always going to want the people who don't have their act together pointed out and treated more harshly than Jesus himself would. But Jesus allows the woman to serve his body, and then he affirms her and says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. Church, this is an important way. I kind of want to wind up this series of letters that and this issue that we've been talking about. Because there's an important lesson to be learned. We don't want to compromise the clear teaching of Scripture. That's not what we're about. We need to be honest, first of all, with ourselves about the sin 
that is pointed out in us by Scripture. We need to be honest about that and not try and change what the Scripture says to try and justify who we are and what we are. It will indict all of us if we're honest. We're all broken. We're all sinful. We're all wayward. And so the difference between this woman and the Pharisee was this woman was honest with herself. She knew she was sinful. The Pharisee was in the habit of lying to himself. And propping up his status, his prestige, his righteousness with false thinking about himself. He, he, didn't, he didn't understand, not only do you actually have sin, you have substantial sin yourself. And you just refuse to see it. And, and Jesus has harsh words for him. Usually the thing that helps the religious people get over their sense of superiority, it's usually public humiliation. How many of you have ever tasted that before? You know, I've learned over the years I've learned a little bit of humility myself, none of it voluntarily, all of it at the hands of humiliation. It's not a fun thing, but God is going to see to it one way or the other. For those who are authentic, who are authentic believers, he's going to see to it that we see ourselves for who and what we really are before him. We're guilty. We're broken. We're in need of grace. And so as a church community, some important principles to be brought to mind, especially as we approach communion this morning. As a church community, we're a place where every broken person can not only come and seek God, but they can come and serve his body in various ways and in various capacities, if they want to serve the body of Christ, if broken people of any stripes or colors want to come and serve the body of Christ with their gifts and their giving, we'll be glad to accept that. If they want to serve the body of Christ in other ways around the church, we'd be glad to accept that because we're all broken people serving the body of Christ, aren't we? This is a place where anyone can come who wants to be a follower of Jesus and stumble their way forward just like you or me as long as it takes until they get it right because we're all on different timelines, aren't we? So that's a very important principle to, to think as we move forward as a church. <clears throat> we have the standards of Scripture that we're not going to compromise on. We're not going to try and twist and distort the clear teaching of Scripture. But on an individual level, any person that wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ, even if they don't have their act together, even if they don't have the strength or the inner maturity to make the choices that they need to make, you know, just like Amy's brother, just like me, whenever I first became a follower of Jesus Christ. 
I'm very grateful. I was a part of a church that knew when I came there I wasn't living right, that knew while I attended there I wasn't living right. And they still welcomed me. They still allowed me to participate. And they waited in God's time and in God's way until I finally started getting it. And I never would have unless they hadn't treated me just like anyone else in the church. Are you with me? I think we can all agree on that, can't we? You know, there are some things that are true in people's life that probably just make your stomach churn thinking about it. Maybe we have people that have chemical dependence issues that we know. know, I certainly do in my family. Probably most of you do as well. Wouldn't you want a church to welcome them and to embrace them and to help nurture them until they get the strength and the maturity, however long that takes until they start getting it right? Maybe we've got a couple who uh, are living together out of wedlock. And they're confused because it's a confusing culture out there. Are you with me? It's very difficult to negotiate the landscape of our culture whenever it's getting farther and farther and farther from biblical truth for young people it's more and more difficult to figure out how to get life together and and work it out. We need to welcome them and embrace them without compromising the clear teaching of Scripture, but still let them know this is your home, you're loved, you're wanted here, we expect you here, come pitch in and help. Amen? And then you can connect the dots. If someone is struggling with their sexuality in other ways, you can connect the dots. You're welcome here. You have a home here. We want you. Come pitch in and help. Are you with me? Now, just to put a a fine point on this whole series, this is basically what I was going to write the last article on. Part one was last week. This was going to be part two. This is just kind of the fine point on the whole series of articles. Because I don't know about you, but knowing how much mercy I require before a good and holy God, knowing how much mercy I require from other people, from you as a church, you know, I'm not the perfect pastor. I make mistakes. I get things wrong. I need mercy. Knowing how much mercy I need, if I'm going to make a mistake in regards to how we treat people, I'm going to make a mistake on the side of mercy every time. And so we're not going to compromise in regards to how we define marriage. Marriage, as I established in one of my articles, is sacred. It is holy. Sex is sacred. It is holy. It is to function within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. 
We're not going to compromise on that biblical truth clearly established. Things like uh, church leadership, who we lift up and establish as leaders in our community. There are clear biblical standards about who is qualified to do that. We're not going to compromise on that. Not just anyone can be a leader in our church. Anyone can serve in our church. But not just anyone can be a leader in our church. And so there are standards. There are clear standards. There are lines. <clears throat> but again, when it comes to how we relate to the community, to people who come and want to make themselves home here, mercy is our first way and first order of business as a church. And so as we approach Holy Communion this morning, this is an important time to keep in mind why Jesus had to come and die on the cross, which is what? The bread symbolizes. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken for you. Our guilt, my guilt, my sin was why this was necessary. Jesus bore the penalty on the cross that was due to you and me. Amen. As we approach communion this morning, remember that the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross for you and for me. And it's a great symbol of hope for us because it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and purifies us and makes us fit to enter the presence of a good and holy God. Not one of us has any righteousness by which we can do that. Not one of us. Our only hope before a holy God is the righteousness of Jesus. And so church, if you join with me in our confession this morning, you can follow along on the screen. You'd say this with me. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, church, hear the good news. Christ has died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Now, you say it back to me. Amen. If our uh, communion servers would come forward at this time, and if our worship team 
would come forward at this time. We want to serve everyone. Going to be ministering to us.